So different kingdoms have different customs, ways of thinking, assumptions, and everything. Um, and because of that, I was almost killed in London. Um, I was crossing the street, and, you know, I, so I, I looked to make a shark, sure a car wasn't coming, and I stepped off on the curb. Problem is, is cars don't come this way directly in London. They come this way. And so the person jammed on their brakes, and not only did I learn they have different driving laws, but they also have different curse words in London. I mean, <laughs> the, some, of the, some of them are the same, but they also have different ones. Yeah, when, so different kingdoms. And I bring this up because we're, we're talking about, as Christians, we are citizens of God's kingdom. And that means that we have switched allegiances. We, we no longer are, 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 are children of earthly kingdoms. We're, we're children of God. We're children of citizens of the eternal kingdom of God. And because of that, um, we're, in a, a, we're in different kingdoms in the world. And sometimes it takes time to adjust. Sometimes it's difficult to understand, wait, how does, how does this new kingdom relate to the old kingdom I'm in? And that's really what Jesus is talking about today uh, and in the next several weeks as we go into this section of scripture often referred to as the Sermon on the Mount. Now, why is it called the Sermon on the Mount? Well, because as verse 1 says, in 5, Jesus went up to the mountain. He sat and then he taught. So that's why it's called the Sermon on the Mount, because he was on a mount. Um, and if, could you put that picture up? Yeah, so that's in Israel. That's where they think that uh, Jesus gave his Sermon on the Mount. Now, you might say, well, that's more of a hill. Well, that's okay, because it's, that picture is taken from the Sea of Galilee, which is more of a lake. Uh, so it all, <laughs> it all goes together. So Jesus, he goes in and he gives this. And so all the way from chapter 5 to chapter 7, he is explaining what is this kingdom of God? What's it about? What's it like? What does it mean to be a citizen of that kingdom? So that's what we're, that's what we're really going to look at because we're in this series on uh, the gospel of Matthew. And in chapter 4, we talked about how that was Jesus' preparation for ministry. And when Jesus started to preach, one of the things that he said, it was the same thing that John the Baptist said, which was, repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. The kingdom of heaven is here. That's what he said. Repent, for the kingdom is here. And what that means is, all right, repent, there's a new kingdom. God's kingdom is coming to earth. And that word repent, we can think it's a churchy word, but really what it means is, all right, I'm switching allegiances. No longer is Caesar my Lord. No longer am I my Lord. Whatever kingdom I happen to be in, no, Jesus is my Lord. I am a part of his kingdom. That was his invitation. And that's why crowds started to follow him because they, wait, we can be citizens of God's kingdom? Yes, but it requires repentance. In other words, switching allegiances. And Jesus invites people into this bigger kingdom, into this eternal kingdom, this kingdom of God, this story that is bigger than any earthly story because earthly kingdoms can come and go. Even ones like the Roman Empire that last centuries, it's gone. Earthly kingdoms, earthly kings rise and fall, but they go away. And Jesus was inviting people 
to the earthly, excuse me, to, the, to take, to put aside their earthly kingdom and step into God's eternal kingdom. And that's why he said, repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. That was an invitation. In verse 23 of chapter 4, it's, it, it describes a little bit what that looked like. Um, it says, he went throughout all Galilee, teaching in their synagogues and proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom and healing every disease and every affliction among the people. And now in chapter 5, which Chrissy just read, that describes, all right, what is that preaching the gospel of the kingdom? What was that like? And so the Sermon on the Mount is, is, a, is an example sermon of what Jesus was saying, what this gospel of the kingdom, what it meant. And as we see here, as Jesus describes, what does it mean to live in the kingdom of God, the kingdom of heaven? It is different. It's different than worldly kingdoms. There's different values. There's a different king. There's a, a again, it lasts forever. And this sermon on the mount, he is describing, all right, what does it mean? What does it mean to live in that kingdom because so often, one of the reasons that uh, we get into trouble in, in a sense, in a spiritual sense, one of the reasons we often go off the rails spiritually is that we don't, we, we continue to have our feet planted in the earthly kingdoms instead of having our eyes to the heavenly kingdom. And, and we import that, those earthly kingdoms into the heavenly kingdom. And things get all messed up. But that's why Jesus gives this sermon to help straighten our thinking out of what that means. And we see that immediately in what's called the Beatitudes. Have you ever heard these blessed things called Beatitudes? Yeah, a lot of you have. I remember as a kid hearing that and like, beat, what is that? Is that like an attitude that bees have? Like, I'm, I'm hardworking and I love honey. Like, that's, so I'm supposed to, no. So that word comes from the Latin word for blessed. And, and that's where we see, okay, well, that makes sense then. Because if you don't know Latin, you're like, what in the world is that? But, you know, blessed is the poor. Blessed are those who mourn. Blessed are the meek. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst. Blessed are the merciful, Right? That's what we, we see here, and we immediately should notice that people who are considered blessed in God's kingdom, mm, that's not often who we think of as blessed in a worldly sense. Because in a worldly sense, when we're thinking, all right, well, who's blessed? Well, it's the people who have power, who have money, right? That's the people who are blessed. But here in the kingdom, he says, wait a minute. I want, I want to change your thinking because the people who are blessed in the kingdom are people who are poor in spirit. Wait, people who are blessed are people who mourn. Well, we, we don't often consider people who mourn blessed. Or what about the last one? Blessed are the persecuted. For people who are persecuted for righteousness sake. We don't... We don't quite understand that. No, we, in our minds, in the worldly kingdoms, we, we understand if, all right, blessed are who, those who have the kingdom of heaven. We take out the middle part. Uh, blessed are those who are comforted. Blessed are those who shall inherit the earth. Blessed are those who are satisfied. Blessed are those who receive mercy. Blessed are those who see God. Blessed are those who will be called sons of God. Blessed are those who have the kingdom of heaven. Like, that part we get. 
But what causes us issue is, well, no, those are how God blesses people. The actual blessed people are those who are poor in spirit, those who mourn, those who are poor uh, in general, those who are peacemakers, those who are pure in heart, those who are persecuted. See, that's where we, we have the trouble. And I see this a lot, and I think one of the reasons why there's a huge uh, movement of what's called deconstruction, people are deconstructing their faith, and I think that is, that's healthy if we deconstruct our faith and take away what is, what is cultural, what's not biblical, and, and get that pure kernel of the faith. I think that's helpful because what we often do is we import worldly ideas and worldly conceptions into the kingdom of God, and that's what causes us trouble. So... Everyone wants to be blessed. We'll go to Hobby Lobby and buy a nice sign that says blessed, and we'll put it on our wall. We'll get a shirt, hashtag blessed. And what we often mean by that is everything's going well. I'm blessed because God is, you know, uh, giving me plenty of food, and I'm just, uh, you know, everything, I'm, I'm so happy, and um, yeah, I've got all the things that the world would would want to give. And although it's good to praise God, it's good to consider yourself blessed for having these things, I fear that oftentimes we're getting away from what Jesus is talking about when he gives these series of blessedness. That we import these ideas and therefore we have this, give this impression that we're blessed when God's given us a lot of good stuff, a lot of earthly things. But as we can see, these statements of blessing, they're pronouncements, not just for those who have it all together, not just for those who we consider blessed, who we would put up on a pedestal, but blessings for the poor, the mourning, the persecuted, So I, I hardly ever hear when someone is mourning or someone is persecuted, they're like, you know what? I need to go to Hobby Lobby and get myself a blessed plaque and put that up because I am blessed. No, oftentimes that's when we crater. That's when we say, God, where is your blessing? But this is where we must understand the kingdom of God is bigger than our pain. It's bigger than our mourning. It's bigger than the moment. It is bigger than any earthly kingdom. So many times we think of our, our blessing is our circumstances. In this 70 years or 80, 90 years, however God give, gives us to live. But the kingdom of God is eternal. It goes beyond the moment so that... It is already. We already have the blessing of forgiveness, the blessing of God's presence, the spirit of um, the, the Holy Spirit, all that Jesus says, the, the, the kingdom is present in me. And yet, those who mourn shall be comforted. Already, not yet, not yet. Yes, you'll receive comfort in this world. You will receive some of that hope beyond the circumstances. But realize that full and final comfort where all of those things that cause you mourning will be taken away. Yeah, that happens at the end of the age. But God's kingdom is bigger than the moment. So that even when we are persecuted, we can rejoice. We can feel that blessing knowing that God's 
kingdom is bigger than the moment. It's bigger than the externals. And I think we really need to understand that. When we, this sermon series is called, you know, the, uh, a, a story bigger than your own, but it really could be called a kingdom bigger than your own. And that's what Jesus is inviting the people to. He says, repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. It's like it is present now, and, but it is bigger. And so come into that kingdom. And we don't have time to look in depth at each one of these beatitudes, these blessing statements. But I want to look at a couple just to show how counter it is to our normal way of thinking. That first one, blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. So theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Jesus says the kingdom is yours, whereas the rest of them say that shall be. What does that mean, poor in spirit? It means humble. It means, and Luke, when he's talking about it, he doesn't say poor in spirit. He just says poor. Blessed are the poor. I think Matthew is sort of saying, yes, the, uh, bringing out that meaning that it's not just the, the fact that you don't have money. It's being poor and realizing that I don't have anything to give. That there's nothing, when God is inviting me into his kingdom, he is God. There's nothing I can bring, nothing that I can do to earn that. So blessed are the poor in spirit. And, and those though of the world, it's like who's, the, the kingdoms of the world, who do they belong to? Do they belong to the poor in spirit? No, they belong to the proud, to the powerful, to the rich. Right? Look around the world. Look at the kingdoms of the world. Who leads them? It's not the poor in spirit. It is the proud, the powerful, and the wealthy. And yet, that's what we strive for. Why? Because we have the earthly kingdom mindset that, no, blessed are the powerful and the rich and the well-connected. But Jesus, he says, no, blessed are the poor in spirit, those who know, I don't... God, if I'm going to come into your kingdom, it's strictly because you've invited me and I want to follow you. There's nothing I can bring. There's that humility there. So blessed are the poor in spirit. And then blessed are those who mourn. Now this does have that sense, a double sense, in that we don't consider people who are in mourning as blessed. But God says they shall be comforted. Again, God will do away with anything, the, the sin, the suffering, all those things that cause us to mourn, those things will be done away with. And that knowledge brings us comfort because we realize that that, that thing we're mourning about, it's, it's temporary, it's fleeting. But there's also the sense of blessed are those who mourn in that when Jesus said, repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand, that repentance was expected to be, to go along with tears of contrition, of mourning for not just the sin out there, not just for the suffering and injustice out there that's causing me sadness, but there's also a sense of mourning for the sin in here. That, wait a minute, I don't just suffer from injustice. Sometimes I perpetuate it. 
And so when Jesus says, repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand, he, he expected mourning, and there was. But blessed are those who are poor in spirit. Blessed are those who mourn. Let's skip to verse 8. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. What does that mean, pure in heart? means that you're, you're, you don't have a double heart. Not meaning like, oh, I've got two. That would make running a lot easier. M meaning it's not, it's not divided. Uh, later in Matthew chapter 6, we'll get to that in a couple of weeks, Jesus says, wherever your treasure is, there your heart is also. You can't serve God and money. Talking about a divided heart. A pure heart is that one who is, um, is not divided in their loves, but has a single love. And who would that be for? It would be for the king. It would be for God. That's why he says, blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God. In other words, that one of the great things, the good news about the, of the kingdom is that our deepest heart's desire and love will be fulfilled. Now, what do we often do? We often think, oh, good, yes, so that in heaven, uh, you know, I'll get to jump on the clouds and I'll see this person and that person. And, and though, like, yes, heaven will be bless, a blessing, but you know why it'll be such a blessing? Because those who, who want to see God, those who love God with a pure heart, they will see God. They will be with him. That's the blessing here. So many times our hearts are divided. So many times we see the king, things of the kingdom of the earth and we say, yeah, that's what we want. That's what we love. But those who are pure in heart know that there's nothing better. There's nothing higher or more beautiful than God himself. Amen. And that's why blessed are those who are pure in heart because they will see God. We will see God face to face, un, uh, unfiltered through sin or anything like that. And we will rejoice in that. So Jesus is saying, yeah, if um, you, we, God wants to invite you into his kingdom, and a part of that blessing is that you will be with him forever. But if you're not pure in heart, if, if your heart doesn't beat with a love for God and know that he is topmost and, and, and beautiful, then heaven probably isn't, doesn't seem like that great of a deal to you. I know when I was younger, before I became a Christian, I was like, yeah, I don't even know if I want to go to heaven because like, I love doing this and this, and I love this the most. And I'm not sure if that's going to be there. You see, a part of God is that he gives us what we want. He gives us what we want most. And when we want him the most, he gives us himself. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God. Or how about verse 5? Blessed are the meek, for they will inherit the earth. And let's combine that with verse 8. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called sons of God. Again, the world doesn't work like this. Mm -mm. Who inherits the earth? Not the meek. Meek is, like, that's a word we don't use a lot, so maybe I should define it. Meek is, is a, a humility that expresses itself in kindness and gentleness. Right? I think that's a good definition. I can't remember where I found it, but it's a good one. So that's what meek is. 
the meek, those who are humble and that humility expresses itself in gentleness and kindness, they shall inherit the earth. Well, that's not how the world works. Who inherits the earth? Not the gentle and the kind, but those who take what's theirs. Those who grab their inheritance, those who use the power and the violence of this world. They're the ones who take what's theirs. They're the ones who inherit the land. Right? We see that going on in Russia and Ukraine. Well, that's mine. That's our inheritance. So we will take it by force. That's how the world works. That's not how the kingdom of God works. The meek shall inherit the earth. What about blessed are the peacemakers? Oh, they're soft. Those peacemakers, they are soft. You don't advance the kingdom. You don't establish what's yours by being a peacemaker. You got to fight. Divide and conquer. Fight fire with fire. That strategy, fight fire with fire, is a strategy of hellish kingdoms, not heavenly ones. But so many times I hear Christians saying that, oh, we need to fight fire with fire. They did it first. We need to own them. We're so busy trying to own our enemies that we don't win them to Christ. The kingdom is different. The kingdom of God is different. It doesn't work like earthly kingdoms. And one of the reasons why many people are turned away from Christianity is they like, well, that's, you're not, you, you talk about the kingdom of Christ. You talk about God's kingdom, but it seems like you're most interested in earthly power, in earthly kingdoms. And they have a point. Oftentimes they are right because that's what we do. We, when, when Jesus says, repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand, we say, okay, Jesus, you're my Lord. We're so used to things of the world, the worldly systems that often, you know, we, we, we step out without even thinking about it, realizing, wait, no, traffic's the different direction. Things are different in God's kingdom. And it takes faith, trust in Jesus to live in that kingdom because everything around us pushes us and squeezes us into the earthly kingdom mold. But that's why Jesus, when he gives these blessings, it's so counter to how we usually think. And I don't think it's an accident that Jesus then, right after he says, you know, blessed are the peacemakers, he then says, Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake. Because the world loves to cling to its hates, to its prejudices, to its methods. And so peacemakers, they just don't get it done. <laughs> they just don't get it done. So... What happens? They, well, we'll get rid of them. Those people who talk about God's kingdom, they, they're just so different. They do things that we don't like. And so, blessed are the persecuted. 
And again, that throws us off because when you're in the midst of persecution, you don't feel like it's a blessing. When you're in the midst of people saying, yeah, you're bizarre, you know, that doesn't work, you're a softy, whatever, you know. But Jesus says, no, you're, you're blessed because you actually have the right kingdom mentality. You're, you're doing things different. It's causing a wave. It's causing ripples. And that's actually what's supposed to happen. That's why I think he then goes into, at the end, uh, one of the reasons I included verses 13 through 16 is, well, well you're the salt of the earth. A, a light, a, um, a city on a hill, you know, a light. That we're supposed to be salt and light. Because the, the, the temptation is, well, wait a minute. If I'm going to be persecuted for living as if Jesus is the Lord of my kingdom then maybe it's best if we just do a holy huddle. You know, like we can do this stuff with our friends and with church people, but to do it out, out there in the world, in the worldly kingdoms, no, we'll get persecuted. So maybe it's just better to keep this in-house. But Jesus doesn't allow that, does he? He says, no, no, you're the salt of the earth. And what is salt? Salt is a preserving agent. Now, salt does a lot of stuff, but for the most part, what's probably being talked about in this day is its preserving qualities. And if you've ever um, preserved something by salt, and you probably don't because we don't need to do it anymore, but basically, you got to rub that salt into, and this probably fish, right? You catch some fish in Galilee, but you want it to last. You don't have refrigeration, so what do you do? You salt it. And so you have to rub that salt. You've got to soak it in salt. It's got to get permeate all of the meat so that it doesn't rot. So Jesus is saying, you're the salt of the earth. Meaning, wait a minute. We, we've got to be permeating the kingdoms of the world. We've got to be mixed in with them really close. But that makes it so hard. But yet Jesus calls us to that. Or the other image, you're, you know, a light, the light of the world. In verse um, 14, a city on a hill cannot be hidden. People don't light a lamp and put it under a basket. So there's this light that we're supposed to shine to all the kingdoms of the world to say, no, there is a kingdom that God has, and he's inviting us into it. And the temptation is, okay, I'm going to put that under a basket because I, I, I don't want to get, I don't want to attract attention because then I'll be persecuted or people will know I'm different. But Jesus says, no, that's meant to be put on a pedestal. But what is those good, what are the, what's the light? Right, they may see your good works and give glory to your Father who is in heaven so that people will see the differences. And that's the problem, isn't it? Well, sometimes we don't want to be different because we, you know, don't want to draw attention to us and, and cause persecution. Um, but other times, we, we're, we don't, we aren't different because we're so accustomed to the, the way things work in the earthly kingdoms that we forget that if we've truly trusted in Jesus as our Lord, if he is our new Lord, our new king, but we, we can forget that wait, I, he's my king and fall into these patterns. This is why Jesus calls us to something 
greater. So we're salt and light. And that salt means that sometimes the kingdoms collide, right? That if we're the salt and we're supposed to be really close with folks and all of that, that the kingdoms will collide. That the salt has to remain salty. It can't be um, uh, become so impure that it loses its preserving qualities. And, and yet we have to be close and in that, there's that collision. And in that, not only is there persecution, but there, there's also just that discomfort of, of saying, wait, I'm, I'm a citizen of, this, of the kingdom of God. And so I can't, I can't allow what's all around me, the water that I'm swimming in, to cause me to forget that no, I'm, I'm a, a citizen of the kingdom. And, but I, what I want you to notice is that when Jesus talks about what does it mean to be a citizen of the kingdom, the things that he points out, it's not a checklist of external things. Because in that day, many people would have thought, oh, the kingdom of God is coming. Okay, that's good. And so they would look to the Pharisees, to the religious leaders, and they'd be like, all right, they're, um, you know, they're prosperous, they're knowledgeable, and you know, they have a checklist of things that they do. They look right, they talk right, so they must be of the kingdom of God. But Jesus flips that over on its head and says, no, no, the, the, the kingdom of God, what, what God is after in our lives is being poor in spirit, mourning, um, being meek, hunger and thirsting for righteousness, merciful, pure in heart, peacemaking. Those are the kinds of things. And, the, and those kinds of things you can only tell through actions as we interact, as we mingle with the world. And so as we think about this whole idea of God's bigger kingdom, first of all, I, I pray that you would consider Jesus' invitation. That he is inviting you into his kingdom. Don't take that lightly. And in fact, some of us, you know, if we're, if we're, if we're uh, humble in spirit, if we're poor in spirit, then we need to repent of this attitude that sometimes we have of, and again, we wouldn't say it this way, but we think it, man, God is sure blessed to have me. Right? Don't, so sometimes we think that, like, well, of, of course God would, would want me. It's a, it's a privilege for him to have me come into church to do in his work. No, the poor in spirit says, the least in the kingdom? Can I just be the least in the kingdom? But the good news is if, is if you want to be a part of God's kingdom, he's inviting you into his kingdom. Take that step. And what does it look like? It looks like, well, first you've got to receive the invitation, and you just did. Right? The invitation is Jesus saying, you know, now you can step into that kingdom. And so, um, and the second thing is, yeah, step into that kingdom. Say, all right, I am changing allegiances. This, is, this, this person, this thing is no longer uh, my king. Jesus is king. And then for those of you who've done that already, look at these statements of blessedness. 
They're promises, but they're also a call. And so as you read these, say, oh, God, you have promised that um, I'll be comforted. You'll promise that I'll inherit the earth. You'll promise, but am I walking in meekness? Am I walking in purity of heart? Am I walking in peacemaking? There's both that invitation, that call, that promise, but then there's, the, there's that, all right, let's live out the kingdom privileges. Let's live out the, the responsibilities of being a citizen of God and walk in that blessing. Let's pray. Uh, dear God, we, we confess that so many times we are just going along in the kingdoms of this world. So many times we look to the kingdoms of the world for what it means to be blessed. Oh Lord, we pray now that you would fill us with your Holy Spirit so that we would walk in the blessedness that you call us to, even when that means mourning and persecution, hungering and thirsting for righteousness. God, work among us, work in us. Help us to step into the wonderful promises of your kingdom. And we thank you, God. We thank you for the invitation to be part of your kingdom. And Lord, if there is any here online who have not changed allegiances and stepped in and called you Lord, called you their king, I pray that they would do that now. And Lord, for those of us who have, God, we pray we would be walking in your calling, walking in what it means to be a citizen of your wonderful kingdom and all the blessings, the deep blessings that transcend the moment where we would be walking and receiving those. In Jesus' name, amen.